On today's show, we're going to continue our discussion over the summer months. Performance equals profit, part four. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there in Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about your CSRs getting in alignment with the WOW experience. And we know that there's this opportunity for them to change. And today, we want to talk about the pattern for change, the pattern of growth to excellence. I want you to join us in watching Mr. Brigham Dickinson, who's one of the most uh, dynamic, powerful teachers with respect to the CSR experience. Watch this video and understand what it takes to begin the process of change. We have this tool called the Pattern for Excellence. It consists of a purpose, one sole purpose, which is to create wow experiences for customers. Now, what is a wow experience? A wow experience is that moment. It's a, it's a moment in time that you win. Why do you win it? Well, because you have an opportunity to serve. Let me give you one example. I drive up to this Chick-fil-A, and I'm seeing these boxes of lemons being stacked outside this Chick-fil-A. And I'm going, no way is it possible that Chick-fil-A really freshly squeezes all their lemons. So I drive up to the window, and I asked the gal through the window, I said, are you serious about these lemons? Are these your lemons? And she says, oh yeah, there are lemons. So you're telling me you freshly squeeze all of these lemons to make your lemonade? And she says, oh yeah, it's quite an ordeal. Would you like some? Now she had already given me my food, which, mean I, which means I already paid for the food. So she says, it's quite an ordeal. Would you like some? What did she do there? Well, first she built value into the fact that it takes time, it takes effort. Why? Because she simply said it was quite an ordeal. And then she gave me a wow experience. She said, would you like some? Now, I've tried the lemonade several times. In fact, 15% of Chick-fil-A's customers come back on a weekly basis. That's how good they are at creating these wow experiences for customers. But isn't it an interesting thing that she said it was quite an ordeal? And then she offered it to me for free. And of course, I said yes, drove away really happy, as I always do at Chick-fil-A. You see, it's those little things that they do where they create these wow experiences. Is she going to give free lemonade to everybody? No, it was just for me. Why? Because of what I asked and how I asked it. Now, how do you get one of your employees to work at that level? And again, we call it an autonomous level. It's really simple. You give them a foundation. In your call center, you need a foundation. A foundation of principles that everybody believes in. And they're working towards a common goal. And what's that common goal? To wow the customer. When you wow more customers, how does it make you feel? It makes you feel fantastic. It makes you feel good. Why? Because you're serving other people. You're also serving your fellow employees because the technicians don't work until you book the call. Bean counter can't count beans if there's no beans to count. And so the objective is to what? Wow the customer. All right? So you get them behind that common purpose, which is to wow the customer. And now, we teach them the principles that will help them create that wow experience for, for the customer. So the first principle is to be positive. What I've got here is an energy stick. Let me make sure that you can see it right there. Okay, That is an energy stick. 
I don't know if you've seen these before. You can get them on Amazon. It's very simple. This thing creates light and noise. I will demonstrate. See that? You hear that? That was created by my energy. That's right. Every human being has energy. All of us do. What's interesting about the human body is that we can choose whether it's positive or negative. You guys ever deal with somebody who's negative? It is so much fun. Oh, it's so fun. Until they drain the life out of you, right? And if you can't remember the last person who's negative, let me see if I can jog your memory. Let's say a customer gets on the phone and says, hey, you've been out to my home three times in the last two weeks. Yeah, you're probably grabbing the phone, rolling your eyes, looking at your buddy. And of course, your buddy, first thing they think about is the last time they had that phone call. And everybody starts jibber-jabbing about all the bad phone calls they used to have. And then all of a sudden, the phone rings and nobody wants to answer it. And I wonder why. Well, it's because of the negativity that's spread in the room. You see, it's like a virus. And it sucks the life out of you. So what's the answer? Well, you got to work on having a positive attitude. And there's a ton of ways to do that. You work in an office. It's, it's kind of difficult to exercise, but there is one thing you can do that I've, that I've found that you can do on a regular basis, and that is yoga. Have you ever tried yoga? In the back of your head, you're going, I'm not going to try yoga. That's silly. you got a headset, right? You can do all kinds of things. What's the point, though, of yoga? What do you do when you exercise your body? You release endorphins. Okay, endorphins make you happy. Okay, it's a chemical inside your body. So exercise, really, really important. What else could make you happy? If you were to write down everything you were grateful for in a minute, in fact, I'm going to give you just a couple of seconds. In fact, if you want, you can pause the, the video. Just pause it for a second and see how you feel after you write down everything you're grateful for. Ready? Go. All right, that's about enough time. What did you write down? What are you grateful for? Health, family, job, free country. Regardless of what it was, how did it make you feel? Really good, right? So that's what we're looking for. How do you cultivate a positive culture inside your call center? What you do is you teach every individual to maintain a positive attitude in the office. Negativity is not allowed in the office. Now, you can't stop it from customers, but you can from fellow employees. Imagine it. Technician comes in and says, hey, why did you send me here? Why did you send me there? I know this never happens, but when it does, you've got to protect them from, from that type of negativity. You've got to protect that environment. It needs to be a negative-free environment. Even as an owner, we have difficulty. We come into the call center and go, hey, what happened? My technicians aren't busy. What'd you do, erase everything on the board? You see, of course, they didn't erase anything. You've got to maintain a positive attitude in that environment. If you don't, you're going to have less book calls. At the end of the day, isn't that the most important thing? We want to wow more customers. When we wow more customers, we book more calls and we make more money. That's the objective. That's the end goal is to wow, wow the customer. So let's stay focused on that. Positive attitude. Minute of gratitude. Write down everything you're grateful for. 
doing some calisthenics, some yoga, standing in place. There's all kinds of things that you can do. Taking a minute, pushing away from your desk, hydrating, maybe taking a walk, having a ping pong table during breaks, just to kind of relax, loosen up a little bit. If you go to a company like Zappos, you're going to see that they have all these things there that they can create at their own desk. They can make their desk their own environment. They can put their own little trinkets and fun little things on there. That's probably the best call center I've ever seen, and I've seen hundreds of them. I've been to hundreds of shops all over the country, as well as in Canada and even in Australia. The best place by far that I've ever seen is Zappos. They do free tours, check it out. They'll teach you about culture. They'll teach you about having a positive attitude. A couple of other things that you should consider when it comes to positive attitude. Pandora has some great music on there, happy music. Comedians like Jim Gaffigan, Brian Regan, all those guys are great for a positive attitude. You're either giving energy or you're taking it. If you're negative, you're taking that energy from other people. If you're positive, you're giving energy. You're giving it out. Make sure you're giving as opposed to taking. In your call center, make sure they're giving energy to their customers, to their fellow employees, the te technicians when they're dispatching. Very, very important. Now, watching you know, Brigham in this training is very good, but let me ask you a question. How long would your CSRs have to watch football to get great at football, right? You don't get better at football by watching it. You get better at football by playing it. That is also true with everything in life. With respect to your CSRs, we have to engage in role play. That's the practice. That's the only way that we're going to get better. So be sure that you focus on doing some role play and ensure that your people are getting better. It's not enough just to watch Brigham or anybody else do it. You have to do it yourself. You have to experience it. You have to hear the words come out of your mouth. Get comfortable with that conversation, and then we can deliver that conversation and create the, the blueprint, the groundwork for that wow experience with our customers. So let's rejoin Brigham as he talks about the value of role play and practice. If your end goal is to have a call center that crushes it, the second thing you got to do is, is to have a team that's very confident in what they do. What that means is, is they need to practice. Give me the name of a professional football player. You could name anybody from Jerry Rice, Richard Sherman, Tom Brady, all great, fantastic, right? Would you say that they're professional? Sure you would. What makes them professional? Is it because they're naturally talented? Maybe, maybe somewhat. But a better answer would be that they practice. What do football players do to prepare for a game? Yeah, they practice. Yes, they watch video on a regular basis. Yes, they have a coach. It's all the little things that they do before the game is played that makes them prepared to play the game. What's interesting in this industry is, is that we just play the game. We don't necessarily practice to play the game. Why don't we practice? Are we, are we not professionals? In, the, in your call center, are they not professionals? I would say that they are professionals. In fact, if they're watching this video, they're probably saying to themselves, yeah, I'm a professional. You might be arguing with me, right? You're yelling at the TV. You're a professional. Okay, great. I believe you. You're, you're a professional.
professionals practice before the phone rings. Before that game is played, they practice. How often do you practice? You see, that practice is what creates confidence. Customer gets on the phone, they want a ballpark price, they want to know what your charges come out, they want to talk to a technician. You never get calls like that, right? But when you do, you've got to be ready. And it takes practice. How often do you listen to your phone calls? You know, a professional watches video on a regular basis. You should listen to your phone calls, it being what you do day, day in and day out. How often do you listen to your phone calls? How often do you evaluate your own calls? Maybe even listen to other people's calls and compare your calls and your performance to their performance. Do you have a coach? Do you have somebody that you work with on a regular basis that provides objective feedback as well as praise when it's needed and help you along the way so that you can continue to progress? You're a professional. You see, as a professional, you should be doing these things on your own. You should practice. You should be listening to your own phone calls. You should have a coach. You see, this is what creates confidence. So that when that customer gets on the phone, they say, hey, what do you charge for a pound of R22? If you're ready for that call, you're going to book it. It might sound something like this. Mr. Jones, tell me about the R22 that you need. How do you know that you need it? Uh, I was talking to my friend who had some problems with the system, and it wasn't working, and he just got some R22, and it started working for him again. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. So that's probably why you're calling, because you think it's R22 as well. Yes? Yeah, yeah. What if we come out and we find out that it's not R22 that you need? Would you be surprised by that? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be really surprised by that. What, what exactly is it doing, the system itself? Well, it's just blowing hot air. Well, that's not good. No, it's not good at all. Well, you definitely called the right place. We can help you with that. When would you like us out? Now, if you have built a good relationship with that customer, they might likely say, oh, this afternoon would be good. Or they might push back. And they might say, you know, I really want to just get an idea as to what your R22 is going to cost. It's a great question. Here's what we do. What we do is we send out the technician. He comes out, he takes a look at the situation, he determines exactly what needs to be fixed and he gives you a price before he starts. Now there is a fee of extra to come out and do that. When would you like us out? You see, I never once say no. I'm well practiced in what I'm doing. I listen to my own phone calls. I work with other coaches. This is that benefit that we're working towards so that any call that comes in, you're able to book it which is why you should practice before the phone rings, which is why you should listen to your own phone calls before the phone rings. And that's why you should have a coach that you work with on a regular basis. That creates confidence. And when you're confident, it doesn't matter who comes on the phone. It could be a, an attorney. It could be uh, a doctor. And they're great at what they do. But guess what? This is your game. This is what you do. I mean, you're going to have Tom Brady perform a, a heart surgery? No. No, but you'll have him be your quarterback any day of the week. Why? Because he has worked so hard at what he does. He's so confident in what he does. It doesn't matter who he faces. He's going to win. He plays his game. He plays to win. You should also play to win by practicing, listening to your own phone calls, and having a coach. That's what creates confidence. You know, the last few weeks we've been talking a lot about change, especially with our service technicians. We've got to change our mindset, change our belief 
system, change our expectations of what's going to happen in the house. One of the things that we know is that sometimes technicians have a habit of going in and fixing one problem and ignoring other problems. We have to change our mindset. We have to assume the professional responsibility of walking into a house and looking for every problem that we can solve, looking for every you know, thing with indoor air quality or airflow efficiency, all of those problems that we can solve and offer solutions, right? Whether it's us selling ourselves as a selling technician or turning a lead to our service department for a new system, attic insulation, ductwork, whatever, we have to take the whole house perspective. I want you to join me in watching this video that talks about the importance of changing our mindset when it comes to offering services to our homeowners. Now, what I want to do is I want to show you this chart. And most folks don't actually understand what this means until I kind of go through it. So I want to go through it, then we're going to go over to the whiteboard, then we'll come back and have a little dialogue. So I need you to be in a mindset of prosperity and I need to prepare you for success. So if you look at the first issue here, it says the process of change. The process of change is based on a thinking pattern. The thinking pattern says, what am I thinking about? What am I doing? So every single day, I want you to get up in the morning and I want you to review your personal achievement plan. I want you to review your core values, your defining statement of purpose, and what it is that makes you, you. How do you get better at being you? Once you review that every day, after a period of time, it's often said 21 days. I think it's probably more like 30 days to 45 days in my experience. But whatever it takes for you to convert, I want you to start creating a belief system for yourself that says, I don't care what you want to do in terms of diet, health, exercise, uh, religion, community, family, you know, business, compensation, whatever it is, you get to determine your goals, but I want your belief system to start getting organized so that you reinforce that every single day so that the world around you, whatever events are going on, does not have any impact whatsoever on how you respond to it. The response will be controlled because you built your own system and you said, this is who I want to be, this is how I want to behave, this is how I want to respond to things. I'm going to be positive, I'm going to be constructive, I'm going to support people, I'm going to make people feel better about the experience of having touched me today. I'm going to support them, I'm going to figure out a way to make them happy. I'm going to do all those things because that's going to get me more of what I want in life as opposed to me taking or me actually degrading or being a guy who just gets influenced and says, well, I don't want to sell anything because consumers don't need that stuff because indoor air quality doesn't really have any real benefit. Well, if that's how you think and that's how your belief system is set up, then that's true. So you should write this down, okay? And this is a phrase from Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And by the way, that particular book uh, was organized in the 1920s. It's been rewritten called The 17 Principles of Success, also by Napoleon Hill. But the phrase is this, what the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. So again, once again, what the mind can conceive, what you can think about and conceive and convince yourself to believe, meaning reinforcing that dialogue with yourself each and every day, then it can achieve. And what that really says is that whatever you've coached yourself, whatever self-affirmation you've created, whatever belief system you've organized for yourself, you will see the world through that lens. So that's how I see the world. You will then be able to coalesce and, you know, as Wally says, the universe is just going to bring you things. Things are just going to come to you. And what, what it really means is that stuff's already been out there. You just had a scotoma before. Your scotoma was your blind spot. You, it's how you drive 
to work every day without looking at the street signs or having to memorize certain things. Your mind has mapped its way around without ha actually having to have that level of detail. That's called scotoma. It's a blind spot. It's a Latin word. And it means that you're essentially filtering. So when you begin to set up a belief system, the world will present solutions to you that existed. They were always there. You just didn't see them because of your scotoma. Now that you've created a different map for yourself, you will not only see those solutions, but they'll become attracted to you because positive people are attracted to positive people. Energy givers are attracted to people that are also energy givers. Energy takers are people that typically we go, oh, well, that's nice, and then we figure out a way not to associate or relate with those people. We all know who those people are in our world, and we all have experience with those types of individuals. So you know this to be true. The question is, who are you, and how do you create the best you? And if we do that, then we go back to the slide, and we say, well, belief systems, belief systems start influencing people's expectations. What do I want to make in terms of an income? How many goals do I have, and what, do, what are my goals, and how do I want to achieve those? Um, what do I want to do with my family? What do I want to do with my health and my fitness? What do I do with my self-development, my business career? What do I want to do, period? And that leads to a series of attitudes. And so the title of this discussion is Attitude Determines Altitude. Well, we can see that thinking pattern, belief system, and expectations come before attitude. You didn't get a great job and then get a great attitude. You got a great job because you had a great attitude. And that great attitude came because somebody believed in you and they thought, hey, this person works for our culture and our organization, so we're going to hire them. So what you need to do is you need to have that map. And then as we have attitudes, attitudes begin to shape behavior patterns. So I like to be a guy who's a solutions guy, meaning that when I see a problem and I critique it, I like to be a guy that doesn't just say, well, that's kind of BS, and we probably shouldn't do that, and you guys really suck, and I'll see you guys later. I mean, most people are going to say, well, that's pretty easy to critique. I like to be the guy that says, hey, if that's not really the right way to do things, and we're not organized the right way, why don't we try these solutions? And then we can have a dialogue about it. And so we use that process constantly. Just don't be the guy that throws the critique on. If you're going to bring a critique out, bring the problem and the solution to the equation. So the attitude then creates a behavior pattern that says, I, don't, I just don't want to point out the fact that we're not very good at that. We're not very good at selling IAQ and then walk away. We're not very good at selling IAQ. Here are some things we might want to think about. Let's try these things. Let's see if there's an opportunity. By doing that, what you're doing is you're creating a constructive or positive feedback around a problem. And people don't mind listening to a critique as long as there's a solution attached to it. It doesn't have to be the right solution just has to be an offering or some idea that makes it, you know, from the standpoint of is there an opportunity to improve. And uh, so style matters in that. I mean, you can't just go boom and knock somebody on the ground and say, oh, by the way, we're not selling enough IAQ. You need to sell more boxes. I mean, that's not going to work. Somebody's going to put you in jail for assault. So the style and the approach we're going to talk about later in a different video series called Social Styles, Personality Profiles, and Interpersonal Relationships which is really defining how we're going to get along with people who aren't just like us. So that being said, when we look at the next chart and we say, well, the behavior patterns start affecting performance, performance is an outcome, okay? It's an outcome that's based on an event that you don't control but a response that you do. So you can have a rotten customer who's very upset, very direct, very negative. If you respond that way, you're going to get a bad outcome. You're going to get bad performance. But if you respond in a particular way 
that's controlled based on an awareness, you're going to get a great outcome. And so your performance improves. And when you improve your performance, you will change your life. And I don't care what your goal planning process is, we can all benefit by this chart. This chart is from a book written by John Maxwell. Got to give John Maxwell credit. He's one of the foremost writers on leadership in the world. He's written countless books, probably like 50 books. This comes from the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. It's a fantastic book. It's a must read for most people. If you're in a managerial position or a leadership position, you have to read that text. But what it says is, is you've got to control what you're thinking about. When you control what you're thinking about, then you're immune to the negativity in the world. And what the universe will bring to you are things that are positive, And you will begin seeing solutions. And you will begin having more success inside of your personal and private lives. You know, one of the things that we know is when we are selling, there can sometimes be closing conflict, right? You get down to the end of the process, your homeowner has an objection, you come back with a, you know, a rebuttal, and they have another objection, and back and forth, and back and forth, and before you know it, it starts sounding, you know, looking like a tennis match. So we want to get rid of this closing conflict uh, so that the, the, the end of the sales process becomes kind of a natural evolution of the conversation, and hopefully your customers will buy from you. I want to share with you this video where I talk about the closing conflict and how we can avoid it. So this, over my shoulder right here, and I'm not the greatest artist in the world, but this is a representation of what I call the sales hallway. The sales hallway is simply a metaphor for the entire sales process, from the time you get to the house till the time you walk out with the installation date and a check. The sales hallway represents the entire sales process. And so here's what happens. If this is the sales hallway, this is you and your homeowners. And your responsibility, of course, whether on a service call or a sales call, is that you have to walk your homeowners down through the sales process. Even if you're on a service call, you have to sell the repair. You have to sell if there's going to be any additional accessories. You have to sell any preventative repairs. If you're going to sell new equipment, you're involved in that sales function as well. Again, as I mentioned in a previous segment, when it comes to you know, being a service technician, a high-performing service technician, you have one part technology, one part sales. If you're a comfort consultant, obviously you're engaging in the sales process, although even you are going to have some technical abilities, although myself as a very good residential salesperson, not a ton of technical expertise. But your job during the process is to walk your homeowners down the course of that sales presentation, down the sales hallway. Now here's the deal. As you're walking your homeowners down to the sales hallway, they're going to have a million questions. They're going to have questions you know, about you and about your company, about your products, about your guarantees, all those things we talked about in the uh, risk uh, you know, section earlier on. They're going to have all these questions. The single most important question they're going to have for you, of course, is about your price. They want to know how much are you going to charge to do it. People are always trying to gather information, especially about the price. But here's the thing, when your homeowner gets the price, their very natural and very human inclination is at that point to try to postpone the purchase decision. Now, if it's a no heat or a no cool, they have to make a decision. That's one set of circumstances. But in most cases, you're looking at systems that are still operating. Maybe they're not operating well, maybe they're inefficient, maybe they're not working right, whatever, but they're still operating. And so your homeowner, once they get all the information from you, especially about your price, their tendency is going to postpone that purchasing decision. I mean, think about it for yourself. If you had to spend 10,000 bucks on a new HVAC system and you could spend that money today or you could spend that money a month from now, when would you spend the money? 
you would do it a month from now. Human nature is we just want to postpone the purchasing decision. The reason for that, by the way, is very, very simple. Scientists have done studies that show it actually hurts us emotionally. In our brain, the emotional pain centers are ignited when we spend money, right? So it hurts to spend money like it does when you lose your girl, right? The same exact parts of the brain are ignited when you spend money. So people don't want to feel bad. They want to avoid pain. How do you avoid pain when it comes to shopping? You postpone the decision. This is why people use credit cards and financing. It postpones the payment part, right? You can get the car today and you don't have to pay for it till later. Same thing with an HVAC system, right? Uh, which we'll talk about financing a little bit later, but it's kind of the same, uh, the same principle. At any rate, as you're going down that hallway, your homeowner's trying to postpone the purchasing decision, especially after they get the price. They want to put you off and put off the decision. So what they do is they leave a little series of what I call escape routes, right? They're kind of like Hansel and Gretel. And they want to try to follow these breadcrumbs and get out of the sales hallway so they can postpone the purchasing decision. Now stop and think about it for a second. What are some of the words that come out of your homeowner's mouth in an effort to postpone the purchasing decision? You've heard them a gazillion times. Number one, you know, I want to think about it, right? People will say that. So you're walking down the hallway with them, everything seems like it's going good, and then all of a sudden out of the blue, once they get the price, they say, well, that sounds good, but you know, me and the missus, we got to think about it, we got to pray on it, we got to talk about it, we got to sleep on it, we got to do whatever. It's all a version of I want to think about it. And so bam, they're out of the hallway. Next thing you know, you're giving them a business card and hoping they call you back next week. You know, it's just not an effective way to do business. What's one of the other ones? Well, very commonly we'll hear the price, right? The price objection will come out. And you get down here to the end, you think you're going through the final door to this guy right here, but what happens is they start hammering you on price. Wow, you're 3,000 bucks more than the other guy, right? Bam, there you go, outside of the sales hallway. What are some of the other objections? Well, this is one that you hear very, very commonly, three bids, right? Everything seems like it's going well, you're right here at the end, all of a sudden they say, well, that sounds great, but I got a couple of guys coming tomorrow, or I got another guy coming tonight, right? Next thing you know, they postpone the purchasing decision, and you're sitting there giving them a business card, hoping they call you back after they talk to the other guy, right? Which sometimes happens, but most of the time it, it doesn't happen. And then sometimes there can be an issue with brand, right? Somebody calls you, you're in the house, you get down to the end, and they say to you, well, I wanted brand ABC or brand X, whatever, right? Next thing you know, bam, they're out of the sales hallway. So what traditional sales teaches us, and I think that it teaches us to our detriment, traditional sales teaches us that you go down to the end of the hallway, you get down to the end of the presentation, and you ask for the order. And then inevitably, your customer, your homeowner, will bring up objections to which you will you know, come back with rebuttals. And then they have another objection, you have another rebuttal. And another objection, another, and back and forth, and back and forth it goes. And before you know it, it starts seeming like a tennis match, back and forth. And sometimes it can get very, very stressful. Sometimes there can actually be what we call closing conflict, right? It actually gets kind of adversarial between you and your homeowner if you're trying to close the business. So stop and think about it for a second. When are sales uh, tensions the highest? At the beginning of the sales process or at the end? In other words, are the tensions highest down here or up here? Always at the end, right? When you start talking about money, they start thinking about their money, all of a sudden tension, uh, all of a sudden rather tensions can escalate. So that to me seems like a very dumb place to try to convince them they don't need three bids, or they don't want to think about it, they don't need a cheaper price, or they, they don't need a different brand or whatever. 
right? Because at the end, when you get down here, now anything you say is going to put them on DEFCON 1 high alert, right? It's a terrible time to try to convince people they don't need three bids, they don't need to think about it, they don't want a different brand, and they don't want a cheaper price. Because at this point, they're on high alert. So here's the strategy. What I have found is that as you walk down this hallway, as you walk past these escape routes, you have to close the doors proactively. In other words, you have to bring up price, three bids, different brands, and I want to think about it, before they do. And it's a very, very simple process. You bring up in a very casual conversation these issues, and you get them to agree with you that price is not the most important issue, that they don't need to think about it, they don't need to postpone the purchasing decision, that they don't need three bids, they don't need a different brand. You get them to agree with it proactively up front when you're down here when everybody's nice and calm. And then you go into the end and you ask for the order only after all of the doors have been closed. Now, here's the thing. Part of this strategy is based on the strategy that very often law enforcement will use. If law enforcement has a suspect for a crime, right, they, they put them in the interrogation room and the cop comes in and let's say there was a crime that happened at Saturday night at 8 o'clock, right, and they think this guy might be the suspect. So they put him in the interrogation room and they say, you know, we had this crime happen at Saturday night. Uh, just tell us where you were this weekend. Just start with Friday and go through your whole weekend. They want you to tell them where you were to account for your whereabouts. Now, here's the thing. The law enforcement people, the detectives, investigators, they don't care if the suspect tells the truth or not. What they care about is locking the suspect into a set of facts. They want him to lock himself in to a series of facts, right? They want him to get locked into a story. Because when that cop is done, he's going to leave, another cop's going to come in and ask the same exact questions. And they're going to continue this process until what happens? Yeah, until the guy changes his story or gets caught in a lie. And the moment that you change your story, the moment they catch you in a lie, they know they got you and you know they got you. It's all about chink chink plea bargain time. So here's the bottom line. That's a very effective strategy in sales as well because you don't have a suspect but you do have a prospect, correct? And so here's the thing. As I walk down the hallway, I'm going to get my prospect to commit to a set of facts. I'm going to lock them into a story. And that story is going to be that it doesn't make sense to get the cheapest price. I don't need to postpone the purchasing decision. In other words, I don't need to think about it. I don't need to get three bids and I don't need a different brand. The key is to get your homeowner to agree to these things up front when they're nice and calm and conversational and you do it very subtly. But what happens as you begin to close these doors, little by little by little, you remove all of the objections, you remove all of the conflict so that when you get down here at the end and you say, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, will you trust me with this HVAC system? They will recall that they, you know, don't need to postpone it. They will recall the conversation they had with you about a cheap price, three bids or anything else. So you deal with all of the objections proactively. Now, I know there's a, a, a theory out there, a sales theory, that you never bring up an issue, an objection, unless your homeowner does. Because in other words, maybe you bring up three bids and they weren't thinking about three bids. Well, I say that's nonsense. Every homeowner you talk to, they're thinking about three bids because their dad told them to get three bids, their grandfather, the BBB, everybody tells them to get three bids. But the truth is, you and I both know, three bids is a total myth. 
And if you don't believe me, just ask yourself this question. Have you yourself, or have you ever known anybody who got three bids for something for their house, right? A new siding or a new uh, windows or new air conditioning, whatever it was. And even though they got three bids, maybe five bids, they still had a problem with the contractor. Of course you know someone like that. Everybody knows someone like that. We go out there, we get three bids, four bids, five bids, and we still have a problem with the contractor. Because the truth is, three bids doesn't work. Three bids is a myth. And I'm gonna show you how to get rid of three bids later on in the sales training and the sales process. But for right now, you gotta understand it's important that you get rid of the three bid myth. Your homeowner doesn't need three bids. You know what they need? They need you. They need one company who will take care of them if there's any problem, the way you, you know, took care of your customers in the past, kind of like I did with, with the cancer victim, Sarah Parker. That's all they need. They need one company to take care of them. So what you can do is to get them to agree up front that three bids is a total myth. Same thing with price. Same thing with I want to think about it. Same thing with brand. You got to close all these doors proactively before your homeowner brings them up. Engage them in a very simple and a very honest and a very straightforward conversation that you don't need to get three bids. You don't need a cheaper price. Now listen, when you're talking about the sales hallway, uh, the basic consistency principle says public declarations dictate future actions. It's critically important that you get your homeowner to make the public declarations back to you that they don't want a cheaper price or they don't need three bids, whatever it is. It's not enough for you to say it. It's not enough for them to think it. They have to publicly declare whatever the decision is for it to influence their behavior later. But if you can get them to make those public declarations that I don't need to think about it, I can let you know tonight, I don't need three bids, I don't need the cheapest price, that's gonna have a huge impact on the end of the sales call only and only if you get them to make those public declarations. Well folks, that's our show this week. Thank you for joining us here on Cracking the Code. Remember, we gotta create that wow experience, right? We gotta create it, it starts with the CSR and we gotta make sure all of our activities are aligned with that wow experience. We gotta make sure that we continue in the process of change as service technicians. We gotta change the way we think change the way we look at our professional responsibilities when we walk into the home. And last but not least, you got to do everything in your power to avoid closing conflict, and you do that by getting your prospect to make those declarations before the end of the presentation. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week here on Cracking the Code. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye for now.